This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, another week of college football in the books. Monday Night Football concluding tonight, another week of the NFL, and as always, so much to break down, and really excited to have across the board, Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, another week of college football in the books. We have a special guest tonight. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. I mean, it's right back into to the thick of things with um, Thanksgiving, you know, kids school you know probably you're in the background getting ready for bed but um i'm i'm excited to uh you know to introduce uh, i guess a new guest for us uh on saturday to sunday and good friend eric courts um at ek baller on twitter and just kind of started his own debbie show called debbie dose eric uh got anything you want to plug uh, yeah, just uh, thanks for the shout out for the Debbie Dose. Thanks for inviting me on. Definitely follow me on Twitter. And if you like what these guys are doing here, maybe check out the Debbie Dose. We're on YouTube every afternoon around 3 p.m. on Sundays. Yeah, so we're really excited, Eric, to have you with us. And we we have usually four segments we run through. So let's jump right into it because, you know, college football season concluding already. And it's, it's kind of wild, you know, championship week next week, you know, and then obviously the little bit of the low before bowl season and then obviously the playoffs. And then we go right into the all-star circuit and the pre-draft process, which really we kick into high gear here at Saturday to Sunday. So let's start with the NFL draft stock report for this past weekend. And I think the, the big thing that stood out for me this weekend, and I've been talking a lot about him this year, so I'm interested to hear your perspective, is C.J. Stroud, 31-48, 349 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. But to me, again, the big, the big story is coming up kind of small in a big moment again. Another loss to Michigan. Uh, I've had my reservations and question marks about him a little bit this year because I'm not seeing his elite trait, his elite calling card. I look at him and think he's got average to above average arm talent, not great athleticism. We haven't seen many guys like that come into the NFL and be successful lately without those special characteristics and traits, one or the other, the elite arm or the athleticism, or most cases, both. Where do you stand on CJ Stroud? Did this week and game against Michigan change your perspective on him a little bit, or maybe just an overall take on CJ Stroud? Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I think it changed my opinion more so on the team and the coaching staff than Stroud. I did. We talked about this a little bit this weekend on my show, and I was like, you know, I, I need to go watch this game. So that's what I did before this. I rewatched uh, all, all C.J. Stroud's throws in that game. And, and you know, for 85% of it, he was laser sharp. And I, I know, you you know, you, you said that you don't think he has an elite trade calling card, but his ball placement on a lot of these throws, I think is truly special. Just, you know, in traffic contested situations where he's putting it in stride and perfectly placed, you know, where his receiver wants it, or, you know, some of the ones he's dropping over the top on posts or things like that. Um, And I saw that in this game, I saw a lot of beautiful on time on schedule passes. You know, what I think I saw in this game 
where he started to fall apart a little bit was when uh, he couldn't get in rhythm, right? Because, you know, watching that, like, definitely a rhythm passer. Uh, that offense wants to go, you know, go, 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 pass, pass, pass. And uh, when he was getting guys in his face, he was struggling a little bit, you know. And uh, I, I think there was, there were some plays that I watched where his first read wasn't open, his second read wasn't open, and now he kind of gets a little bit panicked in there. And, and, you know, and not that I, 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 I think that, uh, you know, he doesn't have the capacity maybe. He just doesn't get put in those situations. His receivers are always open. He gets very little pressure uh, with that offensive line in, in, in a lot of the games this year. I think he just needs to play more in that type of situation and really, you know, earn that skill. Um, you know, I don't know. What did you guys think about it? Did, did you guys get to go back to that game at all? Well, I think it, it, it kind of echoes a little bit of what we said last week on him where it was last week or two weeks ago. And, and I kind of comped him to essentially Tua as, as what we can expect from an NFL talent wise, like yeah. you know, which is, you know, we were disappointed in Tua for a while because he wasn't what everybody billed him as, you know, being a top five pick. And I think he can be, and I don't use game manager as a derogatory term. Like I, I think game, like I think Tom Brady is in the game manager mold and he's the greatest of all time. It just mean like he's going to be a, a distributor of the ball, but he's going to need good ecosystem around him. And and that's my one worry is that he's going to be drafted as a top five pick and a, and a savior of the franchise kind of guy. And I think people will be getting, not be getting as much as what they're expected to get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, think I, I think, think, oh, there we go. Uh, sorry, Paul. I didn't mean to no. pop in, but I, I really like the analogy to Tua. And that's absolutely where I'm at too, is that he's doing phenomenal in structure, but you know, I don't know that, that we know that he can't play off structure. I can't learn to. I just think he hasn't had the opportunity to do it that much yet. And I'll say the other thing that I, I really like about Stroud is his attitude. You know, like look at the, the, the contrast between Zach Wilson this past week and CJ Stroud after this game. CJ Stroud's, we lost the game. I didn't play well enough. I have to play better. And, uh, you know, I, I just think he's got the effort and the attitude and the mindset the NFL coaches are going to want. And sorry, sorry. Paul. Yeah, no, no. I think that was great. Just to clarify, like I, it's not necessarily, um, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily about, you know, his off structure play. Although I think that's a really astute observation for both this game and his season as a whole. And when he plays well versus when he's not, but it, it's also kind of goes back to Paul's point about just the traits, right? Like it's not that I think your the ball placement is, is something good, but, we don't really see that mobility. We don't see that cannon. We don't see, um, you know, just that elite level talent, you know, that we see in the type of players that just take over a game, the Josh Allens, right. The, the Patrick Mahomes. And that's just why I don't think he's going to be, you know, that level of quarterback. He will have to, to be successful in the NFL. He's going to have to learn how to play out of structure or else he's going to flame out pretty quick because you are not going to get as picture perfect as Ohio state is, uh, you know, every week you're going to get that maybe one or two weeks in the NFL each year tops. Yeah. And <clears throat> Eric, I think you, the point you made on, I'm right there with you. I think he does have great ball placement. I think his, his dis like distributing skills, almost like as a point guard at Ohio state are, are spot on. And he's really good at that. My one concern is, is what Jeff just brought up is that he's, he's going to get pushed to the top of the, the draft, whether it's Houston, whether it's another team picking in the top five that needs a quarterback. And he's not going to have that ecosystem around him like he has had at 
Ohio State. Like Miami put around Tua finally this year where we've seen Tua develop and grow to be the type of guy who can be a franchise quarterback if those pieces are around it. So my concern is you mentioned it, right? When when his first or second read wasn't there, he looked a little bit, a little bit, you know, not uncertain of what to do struggles with pressure is what I've seen. Well, the truth of the matter is most likely wherever he goes, he's going to have to handle pressure. He's going to have to be able to go through his reads. His receivers aren't going to be nearly as talented relative to the opposition as they are at Ohio state. And that's my one concern, right? Because he doesn't have that escapability. He doesn't have that creativeness about his game or just we haven't seen it yet. And maybe it's in his arsenal. I just, I, I, I feel like we would have seen a little bit of it because I do feel like anytime Ohio state does uh, struggle with pressure against them, he doesn't have his best game. He's a little bit inconsistent. And that's my one thing where a guy like Joe Burrow, who is, could live in that world. Arm talent and athleticism aren't all that different between Joe Burrow and, and CJ Stroud, but, but Joe Burrow stood tall in that pocket. Joe Burrow did not get phased by pressure at all. And that is translated to the NFL game spot on. So for me, Stroud's got to kind of show and develop that trait and maybe he can. I just think He's not as clean, I think, as maybe we thought he was going to be when this year started. And I feel like if a team asks him to do too much and doesn't surround him with the right support, he he might flame out and not be as good as what we think he could be uh, based on what we've seen at Ohio State when he's had almost the perfect system around him. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, one final counter there. I mean, we talk about him being a top five draft pick as a savior of the franchise. You know, right now, the Lions and the Seattle Seahawks are both picking in the top five. <laughs> That's what and, I was going to say. You know, and they could be, you know, those I think could be good ecosystems. Um, and because they're not bad teams, right? Those are the picks from the Rams and and uh, 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 Denver, right? Um, so it could it could actually be okay for CJ Stroud, but it, it will have to be something that we pay attention to. Let me move us on to Michael Penix Jr., who um, just another big game, nearly 500 passing yards. He was 25 of 43. Uh, he had three touchdowns. He did have a pick. And this, you know, we've we've talked about him before. You know, we've talked a lot about Will Levis on this show, and and us not being, you know, his biggest supporters. You know, I don't know if you're a big Will Levis fan, Eric, if if he's really solid at your QB3, but I'm not really sure what what's keeping Michael Penix Jr. out of the conversation. So, you know, do you have thoughts on Michael Penix? Yeah, I'm a big Penix fan and uh, you know, I'm I'm not a big Levis fan. I will say we did some work and I don't want to derail it, but did some work on Levis earlier in the season and I was impressed by his growth from last year to this year, but still um that thing that you're saying that CJ Stroud doesn't have that Joe Burrow does that like preternatural pocket presence. That's my favorite Joe Burrow trait. That's my favorite Tom Brady trait too. It's the awareness in the pocket, the pocket movement. Levis doesn't have it at all. Um, so yeah. And I think he's going to struggle to make the transition. Penix, I think is a little bit better in that. I wouldn't say that's like an elite trait of his, but he certainly seems to have a little bit of awareness of what's going on. Oh, man, I, I like his accuracy. I like his ball placement. Not to hit the same notes as uh, with Stroud, but I think he has a little bit of those same qualities. And I want to say that's probably how he profiles to the next level. A lot of the things we were saying about Stroud, a Tua type, 
uh, Kirk Cousins type. I think Phoenix is that with, uh, you know, some high upside rushing. And, you know, earlier in the year is when I did most of my work on him because I got really intrigued by the Washington receivers, did a lot of work on Rome, did a lot of work on McMillan. And uh, uh, Phoenix wasn't rushing that much in those games. And and I kind of wonder, you know, is that him coming off of multiple knee injuries, being in a new offense, like maybe not trusting his legs as much? And it really seems like he started – to uh, use that tool more as the year has gone on, which is very exciting to see because that, you know, what was one of the things that caught my eye about him in Indiana was both had the accuracy, the quick reads, uh, nice release, but had that rushing upside as well. So, you know, I, I think that he's showing that off as part of his arsenal now. That's got to really be catching the eyes of, of GMs as much as it is of you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the intrigue with him, is he's another guy as, you know, Hendon Hooker suffered his season-ending injury. You add the age factor in the Hooker. You know, we've talked here all year that I feel like the quarterback, you know, landscape in the draft is really kind of wide open, right? We know Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are going to be near the top. If you're going to believe everything the big media is saying, it still seems like Will Levis is going to go in round one. We'll see for the longest time Drew Locke was going to go round one until he didn't. Malik Willis was going round one last year until he didn't. So I do think sometimes big media, when it comes to quarterbacks, does sometimes tend to overvalue and things change by the time draft season rolls around. So I wouldn't be stunned if we see that with Will Levis, but I do also believe that some team might sell themselves on Will Levis the same way the Giants kind of sold themselves on Daniel Jones. Yeah. You know, good character, good makeup, prototypical size, athleticism, traits, and think that, oh, he was playing with a poor, you know, poor line, poor, you know, receiving skill. You know, we can get the best out of him. I, I, I'm not sure I believe that. I think he's probably more of a late round one, but probably even more of a round two type guy, not a top of the draft guy, which you might said. So I do think a guy like Penix could now be in the mix. Do I think he pushes all the way to to round one? Probably not. But I do think he could be in the mix there in day two with guys like Hendon Hooker, who obviously is going to be a little bit of a wild card due to the injury and his age. And then we'll see who else declares, right? Like, is is Anthony Richardson a wild card? We've talked a lot about him here. I think he's probably taking it to go back to school. The intrigue with his skill set, but I think there's a lot of development and growth still there. We saw it this weekend, a couple of nice touchdown plays, but like nine of 27, I think was his stat line, you know, and then a guy like Spencer Rattler, who we all thought last year was going to be like, you know, the first pick in the draft or nearby struggles last year, transfers. And all of a sudden he's playing like the guy we thought was going to be the first pick in the draft last year. You know, so so he could add some mix, you know, to, to that, to the quarterback uh, as well. So the quarterback landscape is, is ever-changing, and I think Penix has now put himself in the mix uh, to, to kind of see what the NFL thinks of him. And I think he's probably elevated himself from a mid- to late-day Buree-type guy to squarely now in the day-two mix. Jeff, any any thoughts to kind of close out? Yeah, let me just quarterbacks. Yeah, let me just wrap up the quarterbacks because I just think it's an interesting um narrative this offseason that we're gonna have to follow because teams are very quarterback starved. I mean, we're seeing what was it, Kyle Allen playing for Houston or something? Like just just absolute terrible quarterback play for a lot of teams in the NFL. And and they're going to need something there to to develop and hope. 
And but we saw last season that if teams aren't sold, they'll let them slide, right? Ritter, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, you know, all guys that I don't think are too far off, especially like Matt Corral, as far as you know, at least promise for what they could be in the NFL went round three, right? So, so is this just, you know, are we going to see a lot of quarterbacks go day two kind of in that, you know, I don't know, maybe even early day three kind of, kind of window, but yeah, I just, it's going to be really fascinating to see if, if teams get kind of quarterback starved and we get a few surprise names earlier than we expected, or if it's sort of another draft class where teams are learning to be a bit more patient. So I think we'll, we'll really learn a lot about teams this offseason. Yeah, that's the um, interesting narrative to me, too. Is it, it, it Was it a sea change last year with teams holding off a little bit on these developmental guys? Or did they just really dislike that class? Because you know, looking at this, I, I'd be surprised if four quarterbacks go in the first round right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that we're talking, you know, I don't know that Anthony Richardson is that far off of Malik Willis. I don't know that Michael Penix is that far off of Matt Corral, you know? Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens this off season. Um, rounding out to running backs, you know, we missed it um, this last week. So I think we were doing trade pods and, and whatnot, but Travis died for USC. He's been, you know, a fan of ours out here. He had a season ending injury. I'm not really sure, you know, I couldn't find the timeline for that. So you know, we'll see if he's able to participate in any of the uh, off-season um, athletic workouts or the combine or, or you know, what, what his off-season path will be. I think that'll be critical. He, he put a lot of good production out there this year, but I think that off-season, uh, you know, athletic testing and everything is going to be critical for him to kind of re-jump into the day two conversation for running backs because, you know, let's just talk about it. I mean, this is a log jam. Like, it, there is so much. Like, I've got over a dozen players. I, I might even have, you know, 15, 16, 17 that I, I would be comfortable with a team taking in the top 100. You know, let's start it off with Devin A. Chain, who, you know, 38, 215, 2. Like, we've already said everything that we need to say on him, Paul. I, I, we'll let Eric chime in if he, if he really wants, you know, to, to weigh in. Um, but I also want to just kind of focus on a couple new names. You know, we we let off this season with um, a preview with Roshan Johnson in there, you know, 13 of 77, two touchdowns. And he's got some buzz right now. And he's really building a case for day two, even behind Bijan Robinson. And this is a guy who we know is an athletic freak. He can have strong offseason testing and, um, you know, and, and really build up his draft stock again. And then Izzy Abanaconda um, was 15 for 111 and two, just another name of, again, you know, over a dozen trying to push into the top hundred. So, you know, I guess, Eric, you know, we might've lost Paul here, you know, hopefully we got the recording still going and we can get him back in here, but do you have, do you have anything about a chain that, you know, you really want to, you know, Paul and I have talked about him a lot here. He's a huge favorite. We are all on board with him as RB three in the class. But, you know, do you have anything about A-Chain or or do you have any favorites as far as like, you know, that next tier of running backs that you really, you know, would stump for and like lock into that top 100 draft capital or even round two? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. It is a deep, broad class, a lot of talent, um, a lot of different playing styles, a lot of different players. And, you know, it's on A-Chain real quick, I, I wasn't really sold on him just because just the profile is not 
typically, you know, an NFL profile, uh, you know, not elite satellite back, small guy. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of guys come into the league with more of that profile and not do well. But, you know, this this week, just the it was the 38 carries for 200 yards and, man, just running it up the gut over and over again. He, you know, I, I think he's finally converted me with that, and I, I can't deny the buzz. Um, you know, I, I think he's certainly going to land on day two. Um, but, you know, I – there's a few other guys kind of with that profile in this class. And I, I think there's no way they're all going to be day two guys. Right. I don't think three NFL teams in this cycle are going to pick a sub 205 pound back. So, you know, what, what, one of those guys like Mitchell and Vaughn and one of them's not going to land day two. Um, yeah. And then you know, I, I love the names you dropped here. And I, I think one kind of important note about this is some of these guys are going to go back to school. You know, some of them are going to have to, like, I always think about Izzy as, as a guy that's probably going to come back just because, you know, he, he had a little bit of buzz, um, you know, last year, but then missed a lot of this season, obviously is dominated. And when you have one of those just wild 300 yard games or what was it? A six touchdown game he had earlier this season. You know, that catches all eyes, every NFL scout, you have got their attention, even if they're not watching, you know, the ACC generally. Um, you know, and I, I did a little bit of scouting on him, you know, going into this because I hadn't done a ton of dedicated work on him and I'm impressed. You know, Jeff, you always talk about the guy that just makes the smart decisions, right? The, the running back that does the right things. Like that's Izzy Abacanada. Um, Abacanada, uh, I have a hard time with his name. Uh, he just, just savvy veteran, you know, uh, cuts, uh, correct reads, taking what's there, no hesitation, no dancing around, and, and not just um, one-dimensional either, right? Like definitely making some some shrewd moves in the open field to extend plays, man. I, I watched a lot of that, that big game he had against VT, and I, I think he's a really talented guy. Um, but you're right. Like how, how do we squeeze all these guys into the top 98 or 100 draft picks? Man, it's, it's going to be really tough. Yeah, Paul, do you want to jump in at all? I don't know if you've seen, you know, anything about Abanaconda. Um, you know, I know you're a big Roshan fan, and I do think, you know, he's really testing the theory of, you know, my my question here really is just, like, are we going to hit, you know, a, a record for running backs in the first two days, or at least in, you know, the last couple, you know, last 20 years or so? No, I mean, I think when push comes to shove, it's going to be too strong of a class at other positions like offensive line and, and edge rusher and stuff like that. Is is I think it's I think we get excited about these guys, and then I think by the time the draft circle hits, a lot of these guys will get pushed to the top of day parade. Right? Last year was Damian Pierce was generating a lot of buzz, fell to the top of day parade. Right? So I think some of them will sneak in backdoor, like end of round three. And I think a lot of them, I think round four and round five are going to have tons of running backs that we're talking about maybe being day two worthy. And they're going to be sitting there in round four, round five, because teams are going to look at it and say, yeah, I could take a guy now, but I could wait another round, go get a linebacker or go get this, you know, a starting offensive guard in, in like the early portion of round three, and I can come back and, and get a running back later. So I, I don't think we're going to see some record numbers. I think it's a good class. I don't think it's nearly as, as, as talented 
anymore at the top as like I thought it was. You know, I thought maybe it could be like that Jonathan Taylor class where we had, you know, JT and, you know, Edward Solaire was was generating a lot of buzz and we had JK and we had Cam Akers and, and I'm forgetting somebody else because it was like those five guys uh, that were in the mix there. I think we have the clear three. And then I think the door is really open for, you know, what are you looking for? Because I think the big question is you mentioned like a guy like, you know, Roshan Johnson and, and Izzy and, and how do these, how is the NFL going to view these players compared to the guys that were generating the buzz in the summer, right? You know, Zach Evans, who basically has lost his job now to a freshman Tank Bigsby, who has not lived up to expectations this year. Those were guys that we thought were locked in early second round. And now I don't think they're they're not even locked into day two anymore. They could still go on day two. Maybe they go back to school. Like, you know, like Eric was saying, some of these guys are gonna end up going back to school. So so I think we're gonna see some guys fall or go back to school who we thought could be day two guys, and then some other guys will rise up. I think the top three is crystallized at the running back position. I actually would be stunned if in some order Bijan, Jameer Gibbs, A-Chain is not the first three running backs off the board. To me, those guys have kind of separated. And then I think it's really up for grabs depending on what you're looking for. Are you looking for that multifaceted guy? Are you looking for more of a physical bruising type guy? What are you looking for? I think that it's really up for grabs now in terms of how the NFL can view what do you want to call it? Tier two, tier three, tier four. There's so many tiers that can make up that mid second round, late second round, third round, early, you know, early day three. Uh, it's going to be what teams are particularly looking for. I think when it comes to the running backs, the only one who's pushed his conversation, you know, his name into that conversation for me in that, that top level is Blake Corum though. I, you know, he just, his season has been one where, you know, he has he has made the case whether that actually results in him kind of finding his way up into their uh, tier of draft class or you know in that early day you know early day two level or whether it's you know that that kind of still puts him only on the you know top around three that that's to be seen but I I think he's made that case um you know I don't know maybe if you want to just like you know, pick one, one of those names, Eric, you know, I know you're a big Zach Evans believer. Does that, does that hurt you to say, like, do you think the NFL is going to overlook this or, or is there another name that you really want to hit? Like, you know, I know we've gone back and forth on Charbonnet a bunch, you know, Deuce Vaughn's my favorite, but you know, where, where do you want to, where do you want to take this as far as the running backs go? Yeah. I mean, I think I have a couple, you know, general points on, on this discussion that are interesting to me. And, you know, not to derail a little bit, but I, I mean, for one, if you're that NFL team and it's the second round or the third round and you're trying to take a guy, you're trying to take a guy that has differentiated himself as what you want in a manner that you know, this providing something that you think the guys in five, six and seven can't, right? Like you guys like to talk about elite trades a lot. I mean, if you think you can get 95% of Tank Bigsby in the sixth round, you're not taking him in the third round, right? If you think you can get 95% of Zach Charbonnet in the seventh round or as UDFA, you're not taking him in the top three rounds. And I think that's going to be a deciding factor that really kind of sifts some of this out, um, you know, as the draft plays out. And, and then the other thing that's going to be interesting to me that I was thinking about uh, as I was, I was prepping for the show a little bit, you know, like as Debbie guys and guys that start scouting these guys as freshmen, I feel like we definitely get attached to players, not even necessarily like take lock, just that, you know, I, 
were the NFL draft scouts watching every game of Zach Evans and Tank Bigsby as freshmen, or were they focused on the guys that were juniors and seniors and draft eligible that year? Because I think it's more the latter. You know, I don't even think it's recency bias, but I, I think that. You know, as guys that like, this is what we do, and maybe we're in campus at Canton or we're Debbie Leagues, you know, we're looking for these guys that emerge early. And I don't think the NFL cares about that nearly as much as we do. So it's going to be interesting for me. Like, do they value guys that are late risers more over the guys that were, you know, really solid producers as freshmen and sophomores, and then maybe had a falling off this year? Like, a Zach Evans, I think, is, you know, the big one. You know, like, is the NFL going to prefer? A Kenny McIntosh, who really didn't do much, had some nice games last year, but no dominant production, no taking over of his backfield uh, really until this year, you know, over a guy like Zach Evans, who was the guy at TCU, who was phenomenal last year, who has great peripherals and secondary metrics like across the board at TCU, um, and then maybe has stumbled a little bit this season. Um you know, and, and then I, I don't know, just looking at these names, the two guys that interest me most to, you know, do a, do a 15 seconds on are Kenny McIntosh, because I do, you know, I, I did a little more film on him and, I, and I've done it earlier this season as well. Just when he started to break out, really see what's going on with this guy. And there's a lot of impressive traits with him, too. Um, you know, a lot of great moves, a lot of ways to create on his own uh, at the second level whether just like violent running, like dragging guys, even though he's not that big or, or, you know, the shimmies and, and a little more of the, you know, outsmarting and, and out, out agiling, um, you know, the defenders uh, and then the soft hands, uh, you know, with like NFL size, like I think he's a profile that teams are going to be looking for. Uh, I do have a little bit of a fear of him just not testing. Well, you know, I, I don't, he doesn't always look very explosive. doesn't look like he's a burner on the top speed. So he's a guy that, you know, if he does show those things more than I think could really be a, a riser, but you know, if he runs a four or five, eight, you know, he, he might find himself more of a, a round four guy. And then the, the, the big guy for me that cemented his draft stock this year is Zach Charbonnet. You know, he's a guy that a lot of us thought he could have been, you know, a round four pick last year. Maybe he could have sn- snuck into round three, with, uh, you know, how weak that class wound up being. Uh, I mean, Zach Charbonnet or Rashad White, like, is he really, you know, a tear down from that? Um, no, I, I think he's shown everything we wanted him to show this year. You know, more receiving work, more maturity. Like, I think he's a very smart runner. I think he makes the right reads. I think he hits the hole hard. I think he's got really good speed for a bigger back. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that I profile him as, you know, a top 15 or 20 running back in the NFL walking in. But I certainly think that that like size, speed, hands, production combination is definitely going to be enough to land him third round or better draft capital this year. Yeah, I mean, I think Charbonnet, people who are fans of Charbonnet, you look at where Brian Robinson went last year, you look at where. Damian Pierce went, and I think that's his. That's that's where he's going to profile, right? He's not a blazer, but he's got decent speed, you know, and, and he's shown a little bit more in the receiving game. I don't think that's going to be a, a trait that he uses too much at the next level, but it's nice that he's shown that he can at least be functional in that. And and yeah, and listen, the way the transfer game is is the transfer portal is it's kind of changed the game a little bit in college football now. Some of these guys, and I know Zach Evans just transferred, but you wonder. 
you wonder if he says, you know what, my best chance is maybe I, I try to find again a right spot and I stay in college one more year. And maybe Tank says the same thing. Maybe Auburn's not the place and he tries to find it, right? Because if they're hearing from the draft advisory board or whatever inside people they have working for them, if they if they find out they're day three guys, I'm not sure it makes sense to go, right? Go back, find the right spot. Maybe, you know, listen, maybe Alabama's back in the transfer portal looking for a running back. They like, again, like, you know, after they, they struck gold this year with Jameer Gibbs, like there there's options out there, good teams, right? Maybe USC in that prolific offense is looking for somebody to take Travis Dye's spot next year, right? So, that changes the narrative a little bit. Some of these guys who haven't lived up to the expectations could go to that transfer portal route. And I'm glad you brought up McIntosh. We already brought up, you know, uh, Roshan earlier. Those are two guys that when Dane Brugler was on the show earlier in the year, and I think he's plugged in as, as good as anybody on the media side of it. Those are two guys that he said NFL teams were already intrigued with back in September and August. So now they both kind of, showed well this year that I think those are two guys that really haven't been in the, in the Debbie circles in the conversation much, but I think those are guys that if Dane was plugging them from August and then they've played well this year, I think you're seeing, you're going to see those guys maybe a lot higher on media draft, big draft media running back boards when we get a little bit closer to the draft, because I think those are two guys that the NFL might be intrigued with for sure. Jeff, any, any, any closing thoughts on the running backs before maybe you shifted over to the pass catchers? No, I mean, I, my, my kind of one thought with Charbonnet, you know, I know EK is a, a big fan here, but um, you know, I think I might've said it a few weeks ago too. You know, if, if we get something like Brian Robinson at the NFL level, like that's something that wouldn't surprise me at all. I just don't know. Again, if I see the the things that make him stand out, like he's like the CJ Stroud of running backs, you know, but maybe a little, not like we're at the top five pick kind of thing, but um, you know, just again, like I think he'll be solid, but I don't, I don't know that we're going to get something like, I don't want to, I don't want people to get over their skis and expect something that he's not going to be. That That's my biggest thing with Charbonnet. Um, why don't we, um, you know, we're, we're kind of well into, to the show here, but, you know, we've been waiting on wide receivers all season and, and he, we get some big games popping up here and there, but we finally have something to like really talk about of multiple names that actually have given us something juicy this past weekend, rivalry weekend with college football. So, you know, Rishi Rice, you know, a guy we talked a lot about at the beginning of the season and we, we haven't really circled back to him, but 13 catches, 147 yards, a touchdown. You know, Zay Flowers, he's really been coming on of late. You know, eight catches, 110 yards, two touchdowns. You know, Marvin Mims, big. I mean, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is always a barn burner. Like, I don't think I've ever seen one of those games go under 100 points. But Marvin Mims, five catches, 162 yards, two touchdowns. And so, I, you know, all of these players, you know, we've talked a lot about them. And I thought maybe a fun way to kind of weigh them out with each other would be um, – place, you know, pick one of them to kind of place your bets on. I don't know. Maybe that's like, if you're an NFL franchise, which one would you pick? If that's, uh, you know, from a fantasy lens and you're like, Hey, you know, we don't even know their draft position or their draft landing spots, but this is the guy that, you know, I would go for. So, you know, I'll give, I'll give Eric first choice. Like, you know, you can frame it how you want it, but pick, pick one of those guys. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I do does come from a data perspective first. And through that lens, I think Marvin Mims is the clear winner of these three guys. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I love Reishi. I've been on Reishi since he was a freshman. Uh, Zay Flowers might be the better receiver. His film's phenomenal. Um, but Mims has had solid underlying peripheral metrics his whole career. Uh, you know, freshman breakout. Excellent uh, efficiency, yards per route run, receiving yards per team pass attempt, like the big metrics that tend to correlate really well to future success. He has always stood out in, uh, you know, I have some questions about him, you know, why, why hasn't he been able to, you know, dominate the room last year? Mario came in and, and took a lot of his work, but you know, at the end of the day, like for me, if you're looking through a data lens, you have to let the data be the data. Right. And, and with the data, sends you a signal that says, hey, this player is, is likely to go on and succeed to the next level. You got to take that for what it is. And it, it's not like he doesn't have some phenomenal traits as well. I mean, you guys come from more of a film perspective and, you know, I mean, he, he's got some awesome body control. He runs Chris Browns. He gets separation, contested catches for a little guy. Like you love seeing that, my ball mentality. Um, you know, so I think, you know, you get to put chips on one right now. He's going to be my go-to, but man, I could make arguments for any of these three guys. Uh, really easily. Paul, you're next. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like all of these guys. So this is this is kind of a tricky, tricky spot. I, I've been impressed with Flowers this year and coming back from I thought last year, he just did not look explosive. Uh, he looks back to being the player who I scouted the previous summer. Uh, but I think if I'm going to say the guy who is going to, Garner the highest draft capital, and I'll, I'll preface, preface it that way. The guy who I think has stood out the most and is going to garner the, the most draft capital is Rishi Rice. I think he is going to be, I think, arguably the star of the wide receiver position at the Senior Bowl, and I think that is going to generate a lot of buzz in the pre-draft circles. I think he's going to be the first senior wide receiver that comes off the board. Um, so I he's going to be the guy that – if I had to buy stock in one of them, I, I'm going to say Rishi Rice. He did everything he was he needed to do this year. He dominated against his level of competition. He was the focal point of the offense. Uh, I think he's arguably the top senior wide receiver, and he lived up to that expectation all year. So he'd be the one. I think when push comes to shove, they're all coming off the board between round three and somewhere in the middle of round four. I don't think there's going to be massive draft uh, capital difference between these three players, to be honest with you. By the time draft comes around, I'm not sure anybody makes it into the first two rounds. Uh, But I I think round three will be kind of like the sweet spot where they start coming off the board. And then if anybody doesn't go, they'll go off somewhere early on day three. Dang it. I I should have taken that because that was going to be my pick here. (laughs) Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think you, you gave Zay flowers some props, so I'll, I'll stick with Reishi Rice. I just, um, I've just been a fan, you know, ever since, you know, we said, you know, he started off the season hot, we had to get some eyes on him. You know, we look, look through a few plays. He just, I think he's got the ability to be a complete receiver and, you know, I, I am all for data driven approaches. They, they steer me right more often than not, but I, I think if, Paul's right as far as draft capital goes. Like that's the one variable once you input into your your data models and everything that really can tilt it the other direction. And so I'm not shocked if maybe not the 
you know, if Rishi Rice is going to be the Sky Moore or the Deontay Johnson, I, I mean, I was, I'd say Brandon Ayuk, but I don't think he's touching round one. But again, just one of those players who, you know, just were good, just whatever circumstances broke out as seniors, um, you know, really broke out, dominated as seniors and before getting to their draft stock. So, you know, Rishi Rice is just a little, like all of these, all, I think, it's an interesting question because I think there's arguments for every single one of these players and none of them would shock me for, you know, how their career turns out or how their draft capital turns out. But, um, but I'm just a Reishi Rice fan. So I have to go that direction. Yeah. Man, I do love Reishi. He did have some big games, uh, maybe not as a freshman, but as a sophomore. And I love his rack ability. His hands are like glue. I feel like he's a little wild sometimes and running his routes, like a little bit of wasted motion and stuff. But those are the kind of things you'd think that an NFL staff is going to be able to coach up, you know, and, uh, you know, really round him out. So he's the kind of guy that I look at, yeah, maybe he's very successful in the long run. I don't think he's a guy that's going to come out in his first five games and dominate. I think it's more of a Sky Moore path, right? Where maybe he doesn't get on the field right away. People get disappointed and then really starts to emerge later in the season. And then I was flipping through some of my stats um, while you guys were talking. And actually, Zay Flowers this year has just like absurd dominator rating, absurd uh, adjusted yards for team pass attempts, like really, really dominant things, the kind of things you want to see if you're looking at uh, a receiver that, uh, you know, is, is a senior receiver. You really want to see them have just like completely annihilate the competition in that year, especially if they're playing, you know, maybe some weaker opponents like, like Zay was. And man, that's a, that's a really nice data point. That's a, that's a couple of nice feathers to have in the cap and the draft profile. So, man, I, I really think all three of these guys have a shot at, you know, being successful at the next level. Yeah. I mean, he's really crushed it this last month. That's really probably, you know, buoyed up those numbers there. Um, so, you know, all of this has been focused on so far, our, our, um, you know, draft eligible players here. Like you said, a lot of them will go back to school, but you know, we do a we do a segment called Debbie Slant, and and it's really a, a quick hit um, on names that we're watching, names that we're seeing. Um, we don't, you know, I know you have a, a tighter Debbie focus, so I'm going to let you carry us on this segment. I'm just going to profile here Donovan Edwards, you know, having his giant game, 22 carries, 200 yards, two touchdowns, upset over Ohio State. You know, they were saying Blake Corum, you know, was was sort of the tilting factor of that game. If he was good to go, you know, Michigan, you know, had a good shot. You know, if he wasn't going to go, you know, I think, you know, odds tilted to Ohio State. And, and Donovan Edwards, you know, a guy that, you know, I thought would push Corum this year for playing time, pretty much just said, yeah no problem. I got this. Um, you know, and so he's going to be a huge name, you know, to watch this, this off season, just probably a giant riser, you know, but you know, we've, I've talked about Jaden Ott. I think I've talked to him, I've talked to you about Americ, um, the, the kid out of Cal, he, you know, big plays receiving game, uh, or Andre Gadsden, you know, he's just, you know, every time I see him, probably his box score, he's probably got a hundred yards, um, and then just some freshman quarterbacks coming through Connor Weigman, Robbie Ashford, you know, we talked a little bit about Debbie dose, but you know, these, these are players with very intriguing traits and abilities. So Eric, why don't you, and, and feel free to add any other names that you feel need to be, um, 
you know, really, really integral here because because I just hit sort of like a surface level view. But do you have any favorites out of these names? Do you have like one Debbie darling that you just can't can't get you know get enough of? Yeah, I mean, uh, the well is deep <laughs> on that, right? I I love all these guys emerging. I, I love uh, you know watching these guys elevate their game, and you know that's that's probably my favorite thing about you know this process and. Uh, doing we'll this have type to of... we'll have to have them watch your show so they get all of them. But <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So uh, right now to focus on this, man. Uh, so Donovan, real quick, like um, you know, and, and I saw uh, Felix Sharp post right after the game. He's like, "I wish trades were open so I could trade Donovan Edwards." And I said, "Oh man, that's kind of harsh." And then you know, I rewatched this game. I did a little bit of prep here, and uh, you, you can I could tell why he wasn't splitting carries with Corum all season because Corum extremely disciplined, right? Like very efficient footwork, um, you know, and, and, and Donovan might still be a little bit more of an athlete than a running back right now. You see the explosiveness, you saw the speed, like those long runs, like those cornerbacks weren't catching him. They weren't even catching up to him. You know, he was maintaining distance uh, 80 yards into his run over cornerbacks that, you know, run a four four. Right. Um, I think he's going to be an impressive uh, athlete in that manner and test very well. But there's a little bit of a lack of discipline in some of his movements, kind of being late to get into some of the reads, you know, making up of some of it with his explosiveness. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think he's got some work to do on learning the position still. The good news is that he plays with one of the very best offensive lines in football. I haven't done enough work to see who's coming back next year for Michigan. But, man, they're going to have some some big boys up front creating gaping holes from him because that, that's what you saw in this game. Mostly it was huge gaping holes. There was stuff I liked, too. Ran hard, you know, through contact, fighting for extra yards. But, like, the offensive line was doing 80% of the work for him. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about him. Am I ranking him as, you know, a top 10 Debbie asset right now? Nah, probably not. You know, he might get there if he improves on – some of the, you know, the skills of being a running back. But, you know, I, I do think he has his work to do. Um, you know, and then the other guys he got here, just to keep my focus limited. Man, I, I love Gadsden. Uh, he's a big boy. He's a big receiver. But he is so fluid for his size. He runs really nice routes already as a true sophomore. Um, or maybe he's a redshirt freshman, whichever it is. But, you know, like a 19, 20-year-old kid uh, at a big size, you know, running really clean routes, uh, man, I love to see that. And, you know, his ability on uh, tested catches and, and, and high-pointing the ball, uh, I think he's going to be a really special talent. You know, I think he's one of those guys that there's, you know, there's very little buzz about him right now, but he has all the assets, all the clubs in his bag to become a serious uh, wide receiver. And, and, you know, and someone we're talking about uh, for the draft next year, you know, there's some some things still. He's mostly a slot guy right now, kind of like a hybrid move tight end. Uh, they had him listed as a tight end at Syracuse at the beginning of the season, but he's not a tight end. He's a big power wide receiver. Um, I'd really love to see him get some outside work, you know, because that's like we've talked about it, you know, uh, like a Jalen Hyatt, right? Like why isn't Jalen Hyatt going to be a, a Hyatt going to be a top uh, a top sought after wide receiver? he's mostly a sock guy and that dings your stock a little bit. So, um, man, but I, I, I love these names. I could talk about all of them for an hour, but I'll, uh, I'll pass it off. Tune in, uh, 
3 Eastern on Sundays, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Paul, why don't you why don't you transition us over to um the rookie report and just hit on a couple of quick names for that played big this past Sunday. Yeah, Eric, thanks so much for breaking down some of those Debbie guys there. That's definitely something that Jeff and I, you know, talk a little bit about, but getting your perspective as somebody who really digs deep uh, into the underclassmen uh, is great insight. So I greatly appreciate that. I'm, I'm sure our audience uh, will love it as well. If we transition over to the NFL rookie report, a couple things that stood out, and then I'm going to I'm gonna bring it over to you guys as well, kind of do – what we kind of did before with the, you know, pick a wide receiver to buy. I'm going to, I'm going to phrase a question about some of the rookie running backs in one moment, but some things that stood out in the NFL uh, rookie report at the wide receivers. I don't think there's a lot to talk about. Traylon Burks, you're starting to see integrate himself a little bit more. They're using him a little bit down the field, which is, which is something that I didn't think we'd see too much this year. Uh, but I, I do, when he got drafted, I thought it was a perfect landing spot because similar to how they brought AJ Brown along a lot off quick slants, play action. I think Traylon Burks is starting to emerge there in that offense. That's run heavy with a lot of play action. Uh, uh, Garrett Wilson, you know, with Mike White under center, Big game, eight for 95 and two. Yards are a little bit skewed where defensive back fell down on one of those big touchdown plays. But, I mean, we know he's the goods. Uh, he is dramatically se- uh, separated himself from Elijah Moore there. there was, that was a lot of talk in the before the season started in terms of how close those were in, in dynasty circles. And then Christian Watson, another big play yesterday, hit a, hit a crosser and then uh, found uh, daylight to down the sidelines using that speed. Every time I watch him, he reminds me so much of like good Martavius Bryant in terms of his best traits and skill sets. So I don't think there's a lot to talk about those wide receivers, but where I do want to kind of shift the attention for the rest of the rookie report is to the running backs. A, a name that we haven't talked about all year, uh, Zonovan Bam Knight, formerly of NC State, 14 carries, 69 yards, uh, he might get a chance here a little bit down, you know, down the stretch here. Michael Carter got injured. We know Bruce Hall is out. Uh, it seems like the Jets have already soured on James Robinson. You know, another team, you know, now thinks he's just a guy, which I, I think that was what Jacksonville saw as well. And now Zonovan Knight got a chance to play this week, and I think he might get a little bit of a chance. So he's a deep, deep, deep stash. I don't think he has a lot of long-term staying value based on the fact that, that Bruce Hall's there, Michael Carter's there. Uh, but he could be a guy that maybe helps down the stretch of this year. And then maybe who knows, you know, put him on a taxi squad or something like that. But where I really want to turn the attention is Brian Robinson this past week, 18 carries, 105 yards and a touchdown, two patches, 20 yards and a touchdown. Uh, best game of his early, uh, short NFL career. Rashad White got an opportunity to be the bell cow for Tampa Bay, 14 carries, 64 yards, and then nine catches for 45 yards. We knew that was going to be his bread and butter. It has uh, materialized into that. Damian Pierce really struggled, only five carries for eight yards. We saw this kind of the writing on the wall. Houston turned to Kyle Allen. That went as successful as we all thought it would be, which was not. And then Isaiah Pacheco uh, is now the clear guy, especially with Clyde Everett-Hilaire injured. 22 carries, 69 yards, and a touchdown. So, Eric, let me bring it over to you. Those four guys, Brian Robinson, Rashad White, Damian Pierce, Isaiah Pacheco. Is there one of them that you feel strongly about that you either would say, I want to buy right now for Dynasty, or I want to sell right now for Dynasty? 
Is there one of those four guys that based on what's currently happening, you'd be looking to either buy or you'd be saying, you know what? I think now's the time to sell. I feel like his value is only going to decrease. I want to get out right now. Well, institutionally, any of these day three guys that are blowing up, you want to get them, you want to get off, you want to get a two, you want to trade it for an underperforming, you know, trade it for, you know, John Mechie or something like that. Elijah Moore, yeah. Elijah Moore, right? Like, you want to get him off your roster. Uh, You know, Pierce, obviously, a lot of people, you know, loved him, the scouting community, does a lot of things, but they're not married to him. You know, it takes a few games like this and, you know, maybe some change-ups in the the back office and, you know, he's getting replaced next year. Look at Michael Carter. Like, that's the exact picture of why you don't overinvest in a day three running back. And, you know, Pacheco, you, you guys are, are, are draft scouts. Pacheco is a great athlete who was like a decent running back. And I think that's still what we're seeing. You know, he just got the speed, he's got some power, but, you know, he, he doesn't have all the instincts that, you know, a really high level asset does. We could go deep into the discussion of how much talent does a running back need to be successful, particularly in a Kansas City style offense. And, uh, but, you know, look what happened this week, right? Now, Jeff put it in the show sheet as we were talking. They picked up a veteran back off the wire. And I think a couple weeks from now, I'm not saying it's going to be the Melvin Gordon show, but it, it ain't going to be the Isaiah Pacheco show either. It's going to be timeshare, um, you know, for a reason. There's a reason he was a day three back. Um, you know, the guys here that I was the biggest on coming into the season, it really was Rashad White. His explosiveness, uh, he tested awesome. And the pass catching chops he showed in college, that paired with a lot of, again, data, like a lot of the peripheral metrics that looked really, really good. Uh, and him coming out even before he got the draft capital, you know, really loved me to, uh, led me to fall in love with him. Uh, his peripherals in the NFL right now, okay. Like missed force tackles, pretty bad, like uh, less than one an attempt. Uh, yards after contact, also pretty weak, but the sample size is small. And you know what? That doesn't necessarily need to be the running back that he is. He's the guy that you don't hit in the first place. He's the guy that explodes into space for a 10 and 12 yard run, right? Not the guy that's, that's, you know, rolling through the scrum, breaking three tackles to get six yards. That's not who he is. That's not what they want him to be. They want him to be the receiving back. They want him to be hyper athletic James White with some power, right? And that's what this guy is. Um, you know, so I, I'm a big fan of White. I am a little bit, you know, um, I don't know if he's going to be a workhorse. So in speaking in dynasty terms, if I can sell him to somebody that thinks he's going to be a workhorse, that's going to give me a really strong return on him or on a team that I'm just rebuilding and, you know, he's not doing anything for me this year and I can flip him into a later asset and, and something else to add some value. That's probably a good idea. You know, I, I just don't think he's going to be a top 12 dynasty back, but I don't know. It depends who's throwing the ball there, right? If he's getting nine dump offs a game and, and, and running real routes and slants because he's got a Tom Brady type at quarterback, he could have some staying power. Um, you know, Brian Robinson, I, I don't know. It sounds like you guys are maybe a little bigger fans of his than mine. I feel like he's a little bit of a plotter. Definitely the guy that makes the smart decisions, a competent running back. I just don't think he's he's going to be. I don't think he's going to be a high level performer. He doesn't have special to me, right? So if I can sell him to somebody, get like any kind of first round pick for him ever, or a high second coming into this class where we're going to get guys 
like uh, like Kendry Miller and so on, and, and, and awesome wide receivers in the, in the beginning of the second round, I'm probably making that move too. Yeah, I mean, Eric, I kind of agree with almost everything you just said there. I've always been a big proponent is like what we've seen out of Amon Ross St. Brown as a day three pick is, is an extreme unicorn outlier. They are so few and far between in terms of having staying power. More times than not, it's what we saw with Michael Carter, right? Years and years ago, I remember Trey Mason. Remember how excited mm-hmm. the fantasy industry was with Trey Mason? And the next year, Todd Gurley was there, right? We've, we've seen things like that. And I don't, I'm not sure Houston's going to quickly, you know, get somebody just because they have so many holes. But I, I do think Damian Pierce is a, is a solid back, a good back, but he needs a lot of touches to be an elite fantasy option. They're going to bring somebody else in next year, whether it's a, one of these other guys that falls to Dave Bree and they add another Dave Bree back to the mix, whether it's, you know, they have a little money to spend in free agency and they bring a, a, a veteran on a one-year deal to kind of add to the mix, whatever the case may be. You know, they're going to bring somebody else in, right? So I would sell Damian Pierce high if I could. I think Brian Robinson, the plotter type, I think is he is what he is. Like, best case scenario, you know, a team just pounds the rock, Chris Carson style, that could be Brian Robinson. But I don't think he is is a guy that that's going to be a big-time back. The one who excites me the most also is Rashad White. He was my number five back going into the season last in, – in, into the draft last year, he he got the day for uh, the the round three draft capital, which I didn't think he was going to get. I think he's the type of guy that long term, though, I, I'm right there with you. I don't think he's a bell cow. I think if somebody values him as that, get out while you can. I think the way Washington right now is using Antonio Gibson is kind of what Rashad White's trajectory should be, where he's try to get him in space, use that speed and then also use him in the passing game. I think he could be probably a low-end RB2 in, in PPR leagues, maybe a mid-RB2, you know, sometimes. Uh, but if a team really thinks, you know, if he finishes this year strongly, let's say they really decide that they're not going to, you know, feature Leonard Fournette too much anymore, and he finishes strong and he goes into the offseason generating a lot of buzz, I'm right there with you. I, I'd be looking to move on from him as well. And Pacheco's a nice story. But I, I think we know KC's not afraid to make moves to add to that their repertoire of offensive skill players. Even if he's he'll be back next year, but my guess is they'll add somebody to the mix that very much pushes him. Uh, you know that I don't think he he has sustaining like RB two value uh, long term. Jeff, any thoughts on these running backs before we kind of close it out with a real quick uh, dynasty stock report? Yeah, I uh, you mentioned it just at the top. I'll circle all the way back around and just say I think Zonovan Knight is worth a pickup. It sounds like he earned his playing time over, uh, you know, over James Robinson. You know, his effort, you know, his work, and he had the opportunity with injury. He took over, and you know, he he played a good game. And you know, I think the Jets have a a nice schedule. They're they're trying to compete. They put Mike White in there. They're trying to win. You know, I think he could really boost his draft stock you know, in the next, well, well, boost his dynasty stock in the next, uh, you know, month or so. And I think he's, he's well worth a pickup. I mean, and he's going to be on pretty much every waiver wire. He's, he's even on the waiver wire in a league that Eric and I play in. That's like 600 players deep. And, and I know I could say that right now because I've got enough fab to outbid him. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then just like one final thought, you know, you know, we talk about, you know, 
you know, there's going to be so much talent in day threes for Houston to take someone to pair with Damian Pierce. And, you know, we've talked about all these guys as day three running backs that, you know, you might want to, you know, get out, sell, get, get some extra draft capital for kind of re-roll the dice, you know, with, a with like a better shot at maybe a higher upside player. I just think, you know, we just talked about it at the start of our, of our show about how many talented day two level running backs there will be available in day three. And it's going to be a real challenge. I think this year to, to trust whether I stick to that rubric of it's a day three investment. You can't count on a day three investment versus, you know, that usually is paired with day three talent. And in this case, you know, we're going to see, we're going to see in this 2023 draft class day two talent. Like if, if Zach Evans goes at the top of round four, he's a day, he's like a round two running back talent in my eyes still. It, it it's his season has not necessarily unfolded in a way that he's going to get it, but that's going to be a huge challenge for me to navigate this, this next off season. So why don't we go, why don't we go right in and, and let's do quick hits. So maybe we'll hit just, Quarterback, running back, real quick. Um, thoughts? Why don't we just quarterbacks? We got two guys going in opposite directions. So this was a Trevor Lawrence breakout game. Um, fourth quarter comeback over Baltimore. Twenty nine of thirty seven, three hundred and twenty one yards, three touchdowns. You know, this is this is the Trevor Lawrence that you know. Thank you, Doug Doug Peterson, for you know for really helping us. You know, finally see you know, the promise of, of what was with Mr. Generational there. And then just on the other spectrum, you know, I am a fan of, of not letting your rookie run, uh, rookie quarterback struggle or, or second year quarterback struggle, but you know, Zach Wilson, a complete inactive, um, his previous games were tough, you know, Denver, Buffalo, New England, like really tough defenses. And then Mike White gets put in against this just 31st and 32nd in every single ranked metric Chicago defense. But honestly, I think that's just an excuse. I think Mike White personally, and, and this I'll, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll turn it over to you guys. And, and you could talk about either of these players, but I think Mike White just plays the position better. Like Zach Wilson has the tools. Mike White's playing the position better. He did last year. He, he steps right in doing it this year. And like his teammates, think the same thing, man. You just listen to, to the interviews with, with the other Jets players out there. They think Mike White, they, they think Mike White's a better player too. Yeah. I mean, sorry, you go Paul. Yeah. I was just going to say they're in a really, really tough spot because they invested the second pick in the draft in Zach Wilson. No team who invests that high of a draft capital wants to, admit they miss admit that the guy is a complete bust but the jets are really a good team right now like their their young players have really developed and they're a good team ready to win so like it's a really tough spot right we talked about this you know last summer jeff about san francisco right where Trey Lance was the guy with the tools, but the team knew Jimmy Garoppolo could lead them really far and gave them the best chance to win early in the season. And that's kind of why they kind of sent them basically to Siberia. And we didn't think he was going to be back because they didn't want to create that tension in the locker room and have a divide. Well, in the Jets situation, the front office probably wants Zach Wilson to get the job back sooner rather than later and hope that he's not this colossal bust. 
but it's hard to do that when he can't make simple reads and simple pros. And then Mike White comes in and does do that. So it's it's a tough spot. Uh, the Jets, it's interested in New York here. You know, obviously a lot of attention to it. A lot of beat writers still think that they're going to look to get Zach Wilson back on the field and, and think that unless Mike White plays really good in these games against Minnesota and Buffalo, that that might be their excuse to get him back on the field. But if he plays really well in those games against teams that are much better, it's going to be hard to go back to Zach Wilson and we might not see him again until next year. For fantasy, I mean, I don't even, I, I don't even think Zach Wilson is on the radar. It's more of just like big picture thing. And then Trevor Lawrence, if you throw out last year and just kind of say, you know, this is his rookie year, they got him some weapons. I think they'll continue to build around him next year. They got Calvin, uh, they got Calvin Ridley coming in next year to add to that offense. So I think they're doing right by him. I think we're seeing him emerge, which is nice, right? Because we've seen some glimpses out of fields. We've seen glimpses. We've seen morning glimpses. We've seen uh, that shift of fields before the injury. Now we're seeing Charlie Lawrence take the step. We were we were so high on that quarterback class last year. We still might get Lawrence Fields and hopefully down the line Trey Lance to live up to the lofty expectations we put on them last year. I know here at Saturday Sunday we were lukewarm on Zach Wilson. That's even kind of right right now. We were lukewarm on Mac Jones. He outperformed last year. But those initial takes were kind of looking like they were kind of spot on as well. So, Eric, thoughts on Trevor, Zach Wilson, anywhere you want to go with those two? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm pretty much right in line with you. I never liked Wilson specifically because he got away with atrocious decision making all the time in college, relying on his arm talent and just getting away with things because of inferior defensive play uh, by his opponents. And, you know, it came into the NFL and whoopsies, you can't do that anymore because you don't have the time. The DBs are just seeing what's going on, picking your passes off, you know, you know, the pass rush on you. And uh, you know, this is what's happened. Uh, You know, at this point, I don't, I don't think they're bringing him back next year either. I smell this is more of a, you know, Arizona Cardinals, uh, moving on, drafting Kyler, or even you know uh, the LA Rams uh, trading for Stafford and sending Goff as part of the package. And if I, if I'm the GM of the Jets, like I'm probably thinking something along those lines. You're a team. You're a quarterback away from a deep, deep playoff run. Hell, Mike White might carry you into the playoffs. Not that he's a bad player. He was an excellent college player as well. Just G5 guy, didn't have the buzz, didn't have the high-end tools, but he can play the position. Um, But, man, I I think they would be remiss if they didn't make some kind of move to get a veteran uh, in there. And, you know, and Lawrence, we've always seen the flashes. I think all of us have had the sense that the structure around him was not giving him what he needed uh, to grow as a player. Man, whether it's Ridley and Ridley comes back to form or uh, if they go out and acquire uh, a a real wide receiver one for him, man, he's going to be a top five fantasy quarterback next year. That's all he needs is the elite pass catching talent. He made Zay Jones a superstar this week. That's that's talent, you know? Uh, Zay was solid last year too, a little bit, but. um... He's fine. Yeah, but Ridley, Ridley is really the the thing that people forget with him, and I think he's going to be great. Um, I think he's still going to be Ridley's still going to be a good player, I think, and and it's just going to take that offense to another level. One final thought, you know, as far as Zach Wilson goes, 
I mean, you know, you said it, you know, his, his play style at college, you know, how he's trying to take that to the NFL. I just thought it was the absolute worst fit schematically between Zach Wilson and a Kyle Shanahan style offense, not just because of his tendencies on where he throws, but even, you know, like he'll throw to the sidelines, not over the middle, like with crossers, he doesn't make smart decisions. That's all you just need a computer to run, you know, to run the distribute ball distribution in a Kyle Shanahan offense. So Jimmy Garoppolo, your, your 2023 New York jets starter. Um, as I think San Francisco is still married to Trey Lance. Um, let me just, well, we're running long. So l- let's just one final thought, because these are two of my favorite running backs in in the league. They were two of my favorite running backs in their draft classes. And, you know, I think Nick Chubb's on his, um, Josh Jacobs is, is about to get the bag for his. And, you know, you talk about metrics, you talk about data, you know, we talk about, you know, maybe the, the cliff for running backs and, and really kind of like a rule of thumb is, you know, get out from second contract running backs and, you know, reinvest in younger talent. I think these two guys are anomalies personally. So Josh Jacobs, I mean, he had 300 yards last week. He, he, I mean, he is the reason the Raiders won the game because he ran 85 yards for a touchdown in overtime. Um, You know, in the passing game, six catches, 74 yards. You know, Nick Chubb as well, same thing. Won won the game in overtime with his touchdown. You know, 26 carries, 116 yards in his touchdown. So, I I mean, are you with me? Like, do, do you have that same kind of you know, general rule that you got to get out from running backs before too long. And and that second contracts that, you know, that indication of, you know, there might be only a year or two left. Like, do you think Jacobs and Chubb only have a year or two left or, or are these guys tout like, you know, the, are these the, you know, Camara, you know, CMC kind of um, talented backs that have kind of produced for, like Derrick Henry's years into their second contract and still at a high level of play. Well, I don't think they're the same player. Uh, I get why you're grouping them in this conversation. I think Nick Chubb is a special, special athlete. Everything about playing the position, he does extremely well, the stuff between the ears. And then also he's just extraordinarily gifted physically. So I think he's on more. I think Derrick Henry's the, the, the career path comp for him almost just because Derrick Henry, freak athlete, really smart runner, set up for success. And then, obviously, Chubb has a top six NFL quarterback coming in. So, you know, that offense is going to get really, really interesting here. Yeah, for me in Dynasty, it's about value, right? And and I think, at least the leagues that I play in, these running backs at 26 years old are, are lepers, right? Like, people are throwing them off of the rosters. A lot of Dynasty players the guys that want a youth chase, uh, they want to flip the roster. They want to do what you're saying. So if you're in a league like that and, and you can get a discount on a Nick Chubb or, and you could have bought Josh Jacobs in almost any league for a single first round pick coming into the season. Guarantee you, you were probably getting him at like a two seconds value in a lot of, or like a, you know, one twelve value in, in a lot of leagues this year. Um, obviously that ain't going to happen now, but I still think people are going to have a little bit of that just, you know, anchoring where they value him a little bit less than, you know, uh, the, the, the Brees Halls and the Austin Ecklers even. Um, so I still think you can get him at some kind of value, uh, relatively speaking right now. And then, I mean, am I actively pursuing that? 
what's it going to cost me? And what's my team look like? That's the, that's the answer to every single dynasty question for me is what's it going to cost me? What does my team need? What are my realistic chances uh, of winning a chip this year? Uh, you know, if, if I have a team that it maybe was struggling this year, but it's going to be strong next year, like, heck yeah, I'm trying to add those guys. If I'm going to rebuild, I'm trying to get them off my roster, you know, um, so cost, a little bit. Cost value aside, you know, it sounds like you're well on the Nick Chubb is, is, an anomaly freak. He's going to be good. He's going to be good for a while. Do you think Josh Jacobs has, you know, we don't know where he's going to play, um, but do you think he has, you know, there's the one to two years kind of window that, that, that might be traditional for, you know, most running backs of his pedigree, or do you think he's kind of establishing himself as somebody who could be good two, three, four years down the road still from a production standpoint? I mean, he does a lot of the technical stuff very well uh, in terms of making smart reads, avoiding the direct hits, uh, edging out of contact, that kind of thing. But, I mean, running back is so much about situation that I feel like Josh Jacobs is a giant question mark right now. Like, are they going to re-sign him? If they do re-sign him, uh, is the coaching staff still there 18 months from now? Like, we don't know uh, a lot of the answers to these questions. And I I feel like you know, without me having data in front of me right now, the history of running backs switching teams and, and really hammering isn't that great. Uh, so you guys might have some some light to shed on that too, but that would make me a little bit nervous to invest in him. Uh, but, you know, I definitely would want to see the situation to be able to make a, a read on it before I did that. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I'll say about Josh Jacobs is I loved him coming out of college and for the the first three years of his career I thought Las Vegas truly just didn't utilize him the right way like he should have been a guy that was much more involved in the passing game they kind of just turned him into like this two down grinder like between the tackles and I thought he his skill set was much more versatile and maybe they didn't even realize that it was as versatile as it was and that's why they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. I kind of think he's going to end up being back there. They're very much a win-now team. I think they're going to give Josh McDaniels another year. You know, I don't think they're going to hit the reset button. They, you know, they gave up two first-round picks, if I remember correctly, for Devontae Adams. Like, they're all in to try to turn this around. Uh, I think they're going to end up bringing him back. And He's only 24 years old. Next year, he doesn't turn 25 until February. So next year will be his age 25 season. He'll probably sign a four-year deal. Most of his guaranteed money will be in the first, like, three years. And he, I think I think I would feel comfortable saying he's going to be a good back. Now, again, good is, is it could be loosely defined there, right? So I'm not going to sit here and say he's locked to be an RB1 because I think there's too much fluctuation in running backs. But I do think I, do think I feel confident saying – that he's going to be looked at to ask to be a lead guy of a, of a backfield for the next three years, wherever he signs, whether it's back with Vegas, whether it's another team making a strong investment in him. You know, I, I think he's going to be looked at for age 25, 26, 27 to be a guy for at least two, if not three years, probably sign a four-year deal with that last year, probably mostly be phony money. By then, he, they probably, a team probably can get out of that deal with most contracts they can in that last year or so. So I think Nick Chubb, I like the comp to Derrick Henry. I think that's the kind of trajectory his career 
could kind of be playing itself out. Nick Chubb, you know, I think a little bit more injury prone than a guy like Derrick Henry, uh, but 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 he's just like you said, a physical monster and athletic, you know, specimen. So I, I think it's gonna be really interesting to kind of see how they play it next year without Kareem Hunt there, because I think that's pretty obvious that Kareem Hunt won't be there. Uh, so what what do they want to take off his plate? Do they bring someone in to kind of just take the Kareem Hunt touches? Do some of those rushes go towards Nick Chubb and he has more rushes next year than he's ever had in his career? I don't think that's added around a possibility. Do they really do treat him like Derrick Henry? And, and then we see some of the, you know, maybe his best statistical output. I think that's to be determined. I, I'm in on Josh Jacobs still, uh, relatively speaking. I, I do think we've seen a lot of movement in running backs and he's kind of elevated himself now. And, you know, other people will gravitate more towards the younger guys. And, and I'm not sure, you know, I, I think we like to look really far out and I don't really think we should when it comes to the running back position, right? Because, you know, I'm sure Javante Williams is going to be still much more highly regarded in dynasty circles than, than Josh Jacobs. And I'm not really sure he should be. Javante Williams has never shown us that he could be a bell cow. He couldn't do it in college. Denver refused to let him do it when he was there. Now he's coming off a major ACL, a major knee injury. You know, is it possible he's back next year and he's elite elite? I don't know. I mean, do we think Javante Williams ever has a season that Josh Jacobs just did this year? I, I would probably lean on the side of no, right? So like, but, but he's going to be valued much higher. So going back to Eric's point originally, I still think Josh Jacobs will be there for the taking because people kind of have a sour taste in their mouth about him. And they might just write this off as, Oh, he was good for a handful of games. He really dominated, but we don't buy into him long-term or whatever, or the free agent uncertainty could create a buying window for him. I, I would try to take advantage of that. If that situation arises in your own dynasty league. So guys, there it is. Dynasty Stock Report, NFL Rookie Report, Debbie Slant, NFL Draft Stock Report for this past week. Eric, thank you so much for joining Jeff and I. It was a pleasure to have you on. Please, again, let our audience know where they can follow you on Twitter and anything else you want to plug. Make sure you're checking out Eric's work, the podcast. Eric, the floor is yours. Uh, Let the audience know where they can find you and all your work. Yeah, uh, thanks again, Paul, Jeff. Always a good time. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Definitely follow me at EKBaller on Twitter. Uh, the The show is is linked there. It is the Debbie Dose uh, recording every Sunday. That's my main focus right now. But I also write a lot of articles for Dynasty Nerds as we get into draft season. I tend to do a real lot of profiles and draft content. And then the other thing, too, if you do like watching film, you do like doing your own scouting, my channel has a endless library of free scouting films. I do ask you hit the like and you subscribe so that someday we can turn that thing into to something that maybe makes a five cents a, a show or something. But uh, again, really, really appreciate having the, you guys having me on. And, and, and uh, it's been a great time. Absolutely. Eric, uh, we'll definitely make sure we get you back uh, for some more uh, spots here because it was definitely fun talking to you. Jeff, any final thoughts? No, just an absolute pleasure, Eric. You know, we've been back and forth, you know, all over the place. But, you know, to really get you here on a pod, you know, I appreciate all your insight, both the data and the film-driven approach pushed together. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, you know, we talk, you know, when we talk more college and 
there's going to be a, a lot of fun uh, episodes this off season. I think that we'll we'll have to get your you back in in for and, and get some insights on. Absolutely, I'm here for you. Awesome, looking forward to it. So, on behalf of Eric, on behalf of Jeff, and our sound tech engineer David Nakano, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>